1: Episode 236 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Tuesday, January 25th, 2022. Good to have you with us wherever you may be. You know, it's interesting. I can see the locations of downloads for this podcast. Obviously, the bulk of the downloads for this podcast come from Maryland, Virginia, and Washington, D.C., but we do get a lot of downloads from outside of of the DMV. Uh, We get a lot of downloads from Florida, from North Carolina, from California, from Pennsylvania, from the United Kingdom. Uh, Actually, a good bit of downloads from the UK, uh, from Canada. We are global, people. So wherever you are, whatever you happen to be doing, uh, I say thank you for listening and pat yourself on the back because you've made a good choice. Coming up next segment, a staggering stat. For you regarding the Washington football team's quarterback play in recent years, off the all time great quarterback battle that we had on Sunday night in the Kansas City Chiefs, thrilling, stupendous, out of this world 42 36 overtime win over the Buffalo Bills in the divisional round of the NFL playoffs. We all know that Washington's overall quarterback play in recent years pales, and I mean pales in comparison to what we saw from Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen on Sunday night. But I discovered something on Monday that, like, slapped me across the face. And so I'm thinking that you may get a kick out of this as well. Uh, as if we as Washington football team fans needed another reminder of our team's screaming need to be better at quarterback and to be better in the passing game. But we got that reminder uh, and then some on Sunday night. Also, next segment, I'm going to address whether the NFL needs to change how it does overtime. So much complaining, so much whining uh, about how the NFL does overtime off what happened to the Bills. Uh, I have a few things to say about all of that. Now, we on this installment of the Al Galdi podcast are going to have an in-depth conversation about something that is perhaps a bit testy, uh, a bit rocky. Uh, That conversation has to do with a former Washington player, former Washington left tackle Trent Williams, uh, now, of course, a member of the San Francisco 49ers, for whom he is doing quite well. Uh, Trent and the Niners have advanced to the NFC Championship game. How do you feel about that? Are you happy for Trent Williams? Are you thrilled for Trent Williams? Are you overcome with joy for Trent? Uh, You know, some people are. Uh, Those people apparently have forgotten what actually happened when it came to Trent's tumultuous final year with Washington. I'm going to conduct a proper deep dive on what actually went down between Trent Williams and Washington, and I'll tell you how I feel about Trent making an NFC Championship game. Also on the show, I'll talk Capitals off a of one nothing loss to the Vegas Golden Knights at Capital One Arena on Monday night. Caps are struggling a bit right now. Head coach Peter Laviolette had some interesting things to say during his postgame press conference. You will hear those things, as you always hear key audio on the Al Galdi podcast. And I'll talk Virginia and Virginia Tech basketball. uh, Both teams playing on Monday night. The Cavaliers beat Louisville 64-52 at John Paul Jones Arena in Charlottesville. The Hokies lost at North Carolina 7868. Hey, special announcement. Uh, Wednesday's show, episode 237 will be a very special show. Uh, The show will honor the 30th anniversary of the last Super Bowl championship for the team currently known as the Washington football team. Wednesday will be the 30th anniversary of of the Washington Redskins beating the Buffalo Bills 37 24 at the Metrodome in Minneapolis in Super Bowl 26. And so, Wednesday's show will be a special tribute to the 1991 Redskins, who were, to me anyway, the greatest team in franchise history. The general manager of the 1991 Redskins, Charlie Casserly, is going to join me on the show. Do not miss it. Uh, you can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me the Al Galdi Podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Billy D in North Carolina. There you go. We're all over the place. With this podcast. Uh, Billy D writes about a potential Washington football team pursuit this offseason of San Francisco 49ers quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, writes Billy D off some nice words about the show. Thank you for those, Billy. Uh, on Monday's podcast, you discussed the availability of Jimmy Garoppolo this offseason. You suggested he may not be available. I actually think he will be available. My reasons for this prediction are as follows Number one, Kyle Shanahan takes great pride in being known as a genius coach, he will be willing to make the trade to show he can win with any quarterback. Number two, I think Shanahan and John Lynch will want to sell high and leverage Jimmy G's 2021 season and playoff success. Number three, finally, and most importantly, I think San Francisco will not let G play one more year and then walk without getting anything in return. San Francisco is not like our Washington football team that allows very valuable players to get away without any or with minimal return on the assets. See Kirk Cousins, Trent Williams, Deshaun Jackson, Pierre Garcon, and soon... Brandon Sheriff, if I am right and Jimmy G is available, the question for Washington will be, does it want to buy high on a good but not perfect asset or buy lower and try to improve the asset, i.e. Mitch Trubisky? Well, great points, Billy. Great questions, Billy. Uh, It would be really interesting to see what kind of a trade market there would be for Jimmy Garoppolo, this offseason. On the one hand, yes, he had a very good 2021 regular season, and he now has been good enough this postseason to get the 49ers to an NFC championship game for a second time in three seasons. On the other hand, Garoppolo has a significant injury history, and Kyle Shanahan made the big trade-up in the 2021 NFL draft to take a quarterback who ended up being Trey Lance, so we know that the Niners don't love Jimmy G., And with next season being a contract season for Jimmy G, the Niners might actually be somewhat desperate to trade Jimmy G this offseason. So it's possible that the 49ers could have a spicy trade market for Garoppolo this offseason, but that's not a guarantee. So it'll be interesting to see what kind of a trade market there is for Jimmy Garoppolo, if in fact he is out there uh, to be had via trade. As far as Washington, I would rather that Washington take a quarterback In the first round of the 2022 NFL draft, even if that means a trading up, then trading for Jimmy Garoppolo, because we know what Jimmy Garoppolo is and what he is, is he isn't great. And I want great. I don't want decent. I don't want pretty good. I want great. And especially if you're going to have to give up assets, I would rather be giving up assets for the opportunity for greatness, not for the opportunity for, you know, just being decent or just being pretty good. But regarding Washington taking a quarterback in the first round of the 2022 draft, I do want to make this clear. I don't want Washington taking a quarterback in the 2022 draft just to take a quarterback. Okay, Uh, I want Washington to take a quarterback in the 2022 draft's first round If, in fact, Washington really likes that quarterback. okay, I don't want Washington taking a quarterback in the 2022 draft to say nothing of trading up for a quarterback in the 2022 draft just to do so. okay. if you don't love or at least really like the guy, don't take the guy and certainly don't trade up for the guy. Email from Eric Fussfield in Arlington. On a potential one-syllable nickname for the team currently known as the Washington football team, should its new name be Commanders? Uh, as you likely know, one of the Galdi requirements for the new name is that it have a one-syllable nickname a la Skins for Redskins, Nats for Nationals, Caps for Capitals, Wiz for Wizards, etc. Writes Eric, you've expressed concern that Combs would be an inadequate shortened nickname For the Washington commanders, if that is in fact to become the new formal name of our football team, but comms is a word that has a special military connotation and could bolster the team's thematic connection to the military if that's what the team is striving for. One important usage of the term comms is as an abbreviation for military communications. Wikipedia defines military communications as, quote, Activities, equipment, techniques, and tactics used by the military in some of the most hostile areas of the earth and in challenging environments such as battlefields, on land, underwater, and also in air. End quote. Sounds pretty badass to me. If nothing else, it enhances the military tie-in and is something the team and the fans could be proud of. I recall the name dilemma when the Expos moved to DC following the 2004 season, and Senators, Nationals, and Grays were among the front-running options. I remember thinking, please let the short nickname be Nats so as to preserve the link to Washington's baseball past. But when this ultimately came to pass, I recall some people less familiar with the history complaining that Nats Sounded too much like an insect and was embarrassing for the team. 17 years and one World Series championship later, I don't hear those complaints from Natstown anymore. I suspect with an uptick in the football team's fortunes, the same would be true for the names commanders and comms in due time. Uh, Eric, excellent points on comms for commanders. Uh, I know that I've expressed concern about commies as an inadequate nickname for commanders, and for good reason. Uh, Comms does sound awkward, but you know what? Everything sounds awkward right now because whatever the new name is will be new, and it's going to take time to get used to the new name. Uh, I did not realize that comms has that special military connotation, so perhaps that would end up being a widely used one-syllable nickname for commanders. Should that be Washington's new name? And I do think that that will be Washington's new name. You know, this podcast is for Tuesday, January 25th. Eight days away are we from the announcement of the new name on February 2nd. Eight days away are we from 2.2.22 as the Washington football team is promoting that date. What will the prevailing reaction of us Washington fans be to the new name, whatever it ends up being? Will we all recoil in horror? Or will we all maybe, just maybe, be satisfied with the new name, if not impressed by the new name? Well, do you own, run, or work at a business for which you want to impress clients with the story that your business tells digitally. Does your brand need to improve its overall customer experience? If the answer to any of those questions is yes, then put Imageworks to work for you. Imageworks is a full-service boutique web design, branding, and marketing company. And Imageworks, right now, has a special offer for listeners of the Al Galdi podcast. Imageworks is located in the DMV, but Imageworks serves the entire country by utilizing a virtual approach with the latest video meeting software to engage, communicate, and share award-winning designs. So what's the offer? Well, Imageworks doesn't want to sell you. Imageworks wants to show you what Imageworks can do for you. And that starts with a free review of your website and SEO visibility to establish a base of where you are and map a chart for where you want to be. Imageworks and you will plan with digital web and marketing goals that you can see live via Imageworks customers portal. The portal shows you how all goals are performing in Google Analytics and how all marketing programs and website visitors are behaving. But understand, Imageworks is more than just a branding and marketing firm. Imageworks is your collaborative partner, your one-stop shop for business growth. If you want to grow your business, you got to use ImageWorks. So here's what you do. Go to ImageWorksCreative.com and click on contact near the upper right corner. That's Image, one word, works, plural, Creative.com. ImageWorksCreative.com. And make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast, For that free offer, again, ImageWorksCreative.com. You can also call or text the owner of ImageWorks. His name is Scott. He's a great guy, big Washington football team fan, big Nationals fan. Here's his number, 703-928-7309. That's 703-928-7309. You can call him, you can text him. Uh, Scott's a regular listener of this podcast. He loves brainstorming ideas and technology that can help you grow your business. Scott has been doing what he is doing since 1996. He knows his stuff. Imageworks, creative minds focused on one goal, your business success. All right, before we get to our Trent Williams conversation, I have a few leftovers from the epic, the five-star classic uh, that was a Kansas City Chiefs 42-36 overtime win over the Buffalo Bills on Sunday night in the divisional round of the NFL playoffs. So you know by now uh, that both quarterbacks in the game, Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen, were outstanding. There are all kinds of stats and facts that back that up. But as you know, this podcast is a Washington, D.C. sports podcast. And so when it comes to something like an NFL postseason that does not involve our team, the Washington football team, what I'm most interested in is what we as Washington fans can take. From the NFL postseason and can learn from the NFL postseason. And so how about this? And I tweeted this out on Monday afternoon. So Patrick Mahomes on Sunday night threw for 188 yards after the fourth quarter, two minute warning. So Mahomes over the final two minutes of regulation and over the mere four minutes, 15 seconds of overtime threw for 188 yards, a jaw-dropping passing yardage total over 6 minutes, 15 seconds of game time. To put that into perspective, Washington's leading passer in a game has thrown for less than 188 yards in the game 31 times in 65 games over the last four regular seasons, so 2018 through 2021. So 31 times out of 65 games over the last four regular seasons, Washington's leading passer in a game has failed to equal what Patrick Mahomes did on Sunday night after the fourth quarter two-minute warning. 31 out of 65. Not 5 out of 65. Not 10 out of 65. Not 15 out of 65. Not 20 out of 65. 31 out of 65. Nearly 50%. The 2018 season was Washington's first season after the departure of, yes, Kirk Cousins via unrestricted free agency. Now, we can argue about Kirk and we can make jokes about Kirk. And you know where I stand with Kirk. I am a Kirk jerk, okay? I wanted him signed to a long-term contract. Washington, to me, has not been the same since losing Kirk. But whatever you think about Kirk, however you feel about Kirk, we can all agree that Washington has had extreme quarterback instability over the last four seasons and overall has had bad quarterback play over the last four seasons. Now, some guys have been better than others. Some games have featured good, if not great quarterbacking for Washington, but Washington's overall body of quarterback work over the last four seasons is bad, really bad. And while passing yardage is far from a perfect stat for evaluating quarterback performance, I do think that in this case, passing yardage makes a valid point. Washington at the quarterback position is miles away from the elite at the position. And that's not breaking news, but I think it's important as a Washington fan to understand where exactly our team is at the quarterback position. You know, that all-time great duel, between Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen really crystallized things for me. And I'm guessing for more than a few of you listening and that Patrick Mahomes over the final six minutes, 15 seconds of game time did something that Washington's leading passer in a game has failed to do in the game 31 times over the team's last 65 regular season games. That, my friends, speaks volumes. We all know that Washington needs to do better at quarterback. We're all pretty confident that Washington this offseason is going to try really hard to do better at quarterback. The universe in which the likes of Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen compete is the goal here, okay? Uh, The goal isn't to get, you know, a decent quarterback. The goal isn't to get a quarterback who's just better than Taylor Heineke. The goal is to get an elite quarterback and how doable that is this offseason is anyone's guess but that is the goal get an elite quarterback that's how washington should be thinking get an elite quarterback another thing from chiefs bills on sunday night overtime uh what happened to the game as you likely know has prompted cries for the nfl to change its overtime format as the bills lost the game without ever having an offensive possession in overtime. Uh, The Chiefs won the overtime coin toss, then engineered an eight-play 75-yard drive that resulted in the Patrick Mahomes game-winning first and goal, eight-yard shotgun touchdown pass to tight end Travis Kelsey, 4-15 into overtime. Now, let me first say this. The NFL has changed its overtime plenty of times uh, over the years since first instituting overtime. Uh, The NFL instituted overtime in 1974. And just over the last decade plus, we've had plenty of changes to overtime. 2010, the NFL installed a modified sudden-death overtime system to help determine a winner in a tie game for the 2010 postseason, eliminating the ability to win a game with a field goal on the opening possession of overtime. 2012, the NFL expanded the modified sudden-death overtime system to the regular season. 2017, the NFL shortened overtime in the regular season from 15 minutes To 10 minutes. So making a change to overtime is not some foreign concept. It's actually happened quite a bit in recent years. When it comes to whether the NFL should change its overtime off what happened to the Bills, my answer is, well, you can, but you don't have to. There are many things that the NFL could do to alter overtime. Uh, Some of these things are interesting. Uh, The NFL could decide the first possession of overtime before the end of regulation by, say, having the winner of the coin toss prior to the start of the game getting the first possession in overtime or by having the home team have the first possession in overtime. So this way, at least prior to overtime, a team would know whether it is going to begin overtime overtime with possession of the football. Uh, The NFL could play out a full 15-minute overtime, at least in the postseason. The NFL could have each team be guaranteed one possession in overtime and then go from there. All of these scenarios and other scenarios would make sense in their own ways. But the bottom line is that there is no perfect overtime format. And here's another thing. Not that many people were complaining about the NFL's overtime format until what happened to the Bills at the Chiefs. In the divisional round this postseason i didn't hear anyone complaining about the overtime format this season until what happened to the bills and while yes people have complained about the overtime format before the complaining only happens when a team loses in the postseason in overtime without having had an offensive possession if this happens in the regular season nobody complains but because it's happened in the postseason People want change. Additionally, defense does matter. I mean, the Bills had the opportunity to stop the Chiefs on their overtime possession, and the Bills did not stop the Chiefs on their overtime possession. Now, it is true that teams that win overtime coin tosses are more likely to win those overtime games. You perhaps have seen or at least heard this stat under the NFL's current overtime rules, teams that have won overtime coin tosses in the playoffs are 10-1. and 1. That's a pretty staggering record. But also true is this. Of the 163 NFL overtime games, regular season and postseason, under the league's current overtime rules, just 35 of those 163 games have been decided by touchdowns, on the first possessions of overtimes 35 out of 163 21.5%. That's that's some epidemic. And so the NFL's overtime isn't some travesty of justice, okay? Each team in an NFL game has 60 minutes of regulation game time with which to win the game. So if the NFL wants to tweak its overtime, fine. But tweaking overtime isn't the absolute must that some are making it out to be. What's funny is this, the Chiefs during the 2019 offseason actually proposed changes to overtime. Uh, The Chiefs during the 2019 offseason proposed the following changes. One, allow both teams the opportunity to possess the ball at least one time in overtime, even if the first team to possess the ball in overtime scores a touchdown. Two, eliminate overtime for the preseason. Uh, I'm 100% on board with that. And three, eliminate the overtime coin toss so that the winner of the initial coin toss to begin the game may choose whether to kick or receive or which goal to defend. Now, the changes weren't even put to a vote because they weren't seen as having enough support. But it is funny that the Chiefs put forth proposed changes to overtime and then the Chiefs benefit from the current overtime format with that win over the Bills On Sunday night. Now, as you may recall, the Chiefs just a few years ago got done dirty by a postseason overtime the way that the Bills got done dirty on Sunday night. The Chiefs lost at home to the New England Patriots 37 31 in overtime in the AFC Championship game. In the 2019 NFL playoffs, the Pats won the overtime coin toss, and the Chiefs never had an offensive possession in overtime. So maybe a few years from now, the Bills will win a big playoff game in an overtime in which the opposing team never has an offensive possession. Up next, former Washington left tackle, Trent Williams. How do you feel? How should you feel about Trent making the NFC Championship game with the San Francisco 49ers? Are you happy for Trent? Are you right there celebrating with Trent? Are you doing cartwheels over Trent making an NFC Championship game? Well, I'll give you my feelings straight ahead as I'm going to speak some truth about a complicated and ugly situation. Trent Williams exit from Washington. I'll get to that after this. All right, guys, I want to tell you about something special a great, easy, and affordable way to have your meals HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get farm fresh, pre portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. This is why HomeFresh is America's number one meal kit and HelloFresh is offering something very special to listeners of the Al Galdi podcast. More on that shortly. But if you want to eat healthy or at least eat healthier, uh, you want to eat food that tastes great and you don't have the time to be making trips to buy food and coming up with complicated recipes, try HelloFresh. HelloFresh delivers pre-portioned ingredients right to your door, including farm fresh produce that arrives within a week so you get convenience without skimping on quality. HelloFresh offers 50 menu and market items to choose from every week, including veggie, calorie smart, family friendly, and gourmet options, providing plenty of variety. HelloFresh offers flexibility with which you can customize your order. I customized my order by going with a HelloFresh box that was heavy on meat. I wanted that protein, brother. Uh, Yes, you can adults with HelloFresh as well. You can satisfy your sweet tooth with desserts like Dunkaroo's cookie dough and vanilla delight cheesecake. And HelloFresh will save you money. A HelloFresh meal on average is 72% cheaper than a restaurant meal of the same quality. And you can save on average over $65 a month by ordering HelloFresh instead of grocery shopping. So here's what you do. Go to HelloFresh.com slash 16 and use the code... Galdi 16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. Yes, free food, free gifts. Again, that's HelloFresh.com slash Galdi 16 and use the code Galdi 16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. All right, so let's have the Trent Williams conversation. Let us discuss San Francisco 49ers left tackle and former Washington left tackle, Trent Williams. You know, it was on last Wednesday's show, episode 232, that I conducted a deep dive on important context regarding the annual January lament of Washington football team fans regarding former Washington offensive assistants, Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, and Matt LaFleur all thriving elsewhere as NFL head coaches. And the whole Kyle McVay and LaFleur all Washington offensive assistants at the same time thing became a thing nationally as last week went on. I'm not saying that that was because of my podcast, although I'm also not saying that that wasn't because of my podcast. It's funny, or at least I thought it was funny. Uh, I, on Saturday morning, put out a totally sarcastic tweet in which I acted like I had just discovered that Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, and Matt LaFleur all were Washington offensive assistants at the same time. And I thought that I, in the tweet, made it pretty clear that I was being sarcastic because the way that I wrote the tweet was in an over-the-top way. And I would say that like 95% of the people who read the tweet got the tweet. But there was like a 5% portion of people who didn't get the sarcasm and were like, oh my gosh, how'd you not know that? Everyone knows that. It's been all over the place that those guys used to be Washington offensive assistants. So that just made me laugh. Anyway, Trent Williams. So Kyle Shanahan's San Francisco 49ers winning at Matt LaFleur's Green Bay Packers 13-10 on Saturday night in the divisional round of the NFL playoffs means that 49ers left tackle and former Washington left tackle Trent Williams is going to an NFC championship game for the first time in his NFL career. Trent's NFL career, of course, started with Washington, which took him with the number four pick in the 2010 NFL draft out of Oklahoma. One of the things that has stood out to me is the reaction by some, not all, but some, in Washington Nation, which used to be called Redskins Nation, uh, expressing happiness for Trent Williams over him making an NFC championship game. And this happiness is reminiscent of some of the happiness that was expressed When Trent got his big money contract extension from the 49ers last offseason, Trent in March 2021 signed a six year 138.06 million dollar contract extension that included 40.5 million dollars fully guaranteed at signing. And boy, some of the celebrating from Washington fans over this Trent extension from the Niners was comical, at least to me. You know, this idea of like, see, Trent showed Bruce Allen. See, Trent was right all along. Uh, Now, look, I don't root against Trent Williams. Uh, I don't hate Trent Williams. I actually have a lot of respect for what Trent Williams did As a Washington left tackle, Trent Williams, to me, is one of the four best left tackles in Washington history. Uh, The other three are Joe Jacoby, Jim Lachey, and Chris Samuels. Uh, Personally, I would rank Jacoby as being the best, but all four were great. And in terms of talent, Trent is number one. I mean, to me, there has never been a more athletically gifted Washington left tackle. Heck, There has never been a more athletically gifted Washington offensive lineman than Trent Williams. Uh, Trent supposedly could, and perhaps can still, dunk a basketball. Uh, That play on Saturday night of him going in motion for the 49ers was tremendous. I mean, how many other offensive linemen in the NFL could do that? Trent Williams played for Washington over nine seasons, 2010 through 2018. He played through countless injuries. He more often than not played well. So I, as a Washington fan, have a lot of appreciation for Trent Williams' service with Washington. I also readily admit that Trent Williams has excelled over his first two seasons with the 49ers. Understand, Trent Williams has been outstanding over his two seasons with the 49ers. Trent Williams in the 2020 regular season played in 14 games for the 49ers and registered an overall grade for pro football focus of 91.9. PFF grades are on a scale of Of 0 to 100, Trent's overall PFF grade for the 2020 regular season was 91.9, and Trent's 2021 regular season was even better than his 2020 regular season. Trent in the 2021 regular season played in 15 games for the 49ers and registered an overall grade for PFF of 98.3. That is the highest grade for any NFL offensive lineman of any position in the history of PFF grades, which started with the 2006 season. Yes, Trent Williams' 2021 regular season, when viewed through the prism of Pro Football Focus's overall grades, is the greatest season any NFL offensive lineman has had in the PFF era, which started with the 2006 season. Uh, Now, it's interesting because Trent Williams' in the 2021 regular season uh, did commit some penalties. He did have a bit of a penalty problem, but still the overall performance was that good. Trent Williams has been an elite left tackle since leaving Washington for which he was not an elite left tackle over his final few seasons. People don't like to admit that, but it's true, but whatever. Trent has been outstanding for the 49ers over his two seasons with the team. However, there are multiple things about Trent Williams' exit from Washington that make it impossible for me to be filled with joy over his success with the 49ers. And so when it comes to this happiness, this giddiness over Trent Williams making an NFC Championship game, uh, you can miss me with those feelings, all right? I'm not necessarily rooting against Trent Williams. I don't wish ill on Trent Williams, but I sure as heck am not waving the pom-poms for Trent Williams, all right? I consider myself to be Trent Williams neutral at this point. Washington on April 25th, 2020, just minutes before the start of day three of the 2020 NFL draft, announced having traded Trent Williams to the 49ers for a 2025th round pick and a 2021 third round pick. Uh, This came on the same day that the 49ers announced that left tackle Joe Staley was retiring. Washington trading Trent Williams to the 49ers ended the lengthy, controversial, and really nasty saga that was the Trent Williams saga. The Trent Williams saga publicly started on June 4th, 2019, when Trent no-showed the first day of Washington's three-day mandatory minicamp. Two major points to always remember about the Trent Williams saga. Point number one, Trent Williams' holdout ultimately was mostly, if not entirely, about money. Point number two, Trent Williams wrecked his credibility with his ugly exit from Washington in a variety of ways. Let's start with point number one, that Trent's holdout ultimately was mostly, if not entirely, about money. So the initial reporting about the cause of Trent Williams' holdout was that he wanted a new contract. But then came a drastic turn on June 5th, 2019, when CBS Sports NFL insider Jason LaConfora, who covered the Redskins for the Washington Post in the 2000s, tweeted the following, quote, Trent Williams' issues with skins are not financial at all, according to To numerous sources with knowledge of the situation, he's told teammates he has demanded a trade or his release from the club due to their handling of his recent medical situation. Has vowed not to play for them. End quote. And so, becoming a big deal over the course of the 11-month saga that was the Trent Williams saga was what was the true cause of Trent's dissatisfaction with Washington money. his medical situation. Money versus medical. That became a big thing. Trent on October 31st, 2019, which of course was Halloween and also was the day after the Nationals won the World Series, spoke to reporters on the record for more than 18 minutes for the first time since his holdout started. It was a bizarre scene. It was a surreal scene. I'll never forget this. Trent literally trashed Bruce Allen while speaking to reporters at Redskins Park. Among the highlights was Trent finally revealing what his medical situation, which we had known was a growth on his head, had been cancer. Trent had dealt with a rare cancer known as DFSP. Uh, Trent said that he had a tumor that was attached to his skull. Trent said that the growth became an issue, quote, probably like six years ago, end quote. So that would be in 2013, and that Washington's medical staff, had incorrectly labeled the growth on Trent's head as minor. Now, obviously, this reveal by Trent Williams made Washington's medical staff look awful, and this reveal by Trent Williams generated a lot of sympathy for Trent. And no doubt, it was awful that Trent had dealt with a cancer scare. But do you remember what happened literally hours after Trent Williams revealed his cancer scare? Most people remember that Trent had a cancer scare not nearly as many people remember what happened literally hours after the Trent reveal of the cancer scare. Washington on the evening of October 31st, 2019. Washington, while many of you were out trick-or-treating on Halloween 2019, put out a statement saying that the team had requested that the NFL's Management Council convene a joint committee with the NFL Players Association to review the medical records and the medical care given to Trent Williams. Quote, we have requested this review under the NFL's collective bargaining agreement that provides for an independent third-party review of any NFL player's medical care. The Redskins continue to prioritize the health and well-being of our players and staff. Due to health care and privacy regulations, we are unable to comment further at this time. We look forward to the joint committee's results. End quote. Well, do you remember what happened with this independent third-party review of Washington's medical care for Trent? The review never happened. Do you know why the review never happened? Because Trent didn't want the review to happen. NFLPA executive director Demoris Smith in November 2019 said in a statement that Trent had, quote, asked us to not pursue a formal review of his treatment, end quote. Why? If Trent was done so wrong by Washington, why didn't Trent want an independent third-party review of Washington's medical care for him? Well, it turned out that things weren't so simple. Kevin Sheehan, on his podcast, on August 1st, 2019, said that Washington had suggested to Trent Williams going back two years to get a second opinion on what the team believed was assist on Trent's head. Now, if you're Trent with all of your money, all of the free time that you have in an NFL offseason and the importance of your body, how do you not get a second opinion? How doesn't Trent's agent or significant other compel Trent to get a second opinion? Trent screwed up. In his medical situation. And that's not to say that Washington's medical staff was blameless. Because we know enough now to know that Washington's medical staff had problems. But Trent should have taken more ownership of his situation. And he didn't. He was asleep at the wheel. It's his body. It's his responsibility. And he didn't take enough responsibility for his body. The team had suggested to Trent that he get a second opinion. And he didn't get that second opinion. And so as the outrage over Trent Williams' medical situation dissipated due to the lack of clarity over what had really happened, what became clearer and clearer was that Trent's anger at Washington uh, was over money. Former Washington general manager, Charlie Casserly, who will be a guest on this podcast on Wednesday's show, episode 237, spoke to Redskins insider J.P. Finley of NBC Sports Washington. In August 2019, Casserly flat out said that he believed that the Trent Williams holdout was, quote, all about money. I'm not buying any of the medical stuff, to be honest with you. I'm not going to go any farther than that, end quote. Uh, JP, in an installment of the Redskins Talk podcast that dropped on February 28, 2020, said that, quote, the money that Trent Williams wants is astronomical, The dollar figure I heard from someone I know and trust is so outrageous that I'm not even saying it publicly because I think it will incite a riot, end quote. NFL insider Albert Breer of the MMQB wrote the following in a column that was published on March 9th, 2020, quote, one thing I heard this weekend, things took a wrong turn between Trent Williams and Washington initially because Williams was asking for quarterback money. It's a bold move, of course, and it's probably a bunch of different people's fault that things spiraled from there, end quote. Then came Trent Williams' interactions with Ron Rivera, who was hired as Washington head coach on January 1st, 2020. We, on February 27th, 2020, had multiple reports saying that Trent Williams had told Washington that he either wanted a new contract from the team or to be traded but NFL insiders Mike Garofolo and Ian Rappaport of NFL Network and NFL.com reported that Washington wasn't even interested in talking about a contract extension with Trent Williams at the time. As Garofolo said in a Twitter video regarding Washington doing an extension for Trent, quote, at the very least, the impression we're getting is that that's pushed to the back burner. End quote. I applauded Ron Rivera like crazy at the time, and still feel this way today. Good for Ron for not allowing himself to get jacked by Trent. Good for Ron for not caving to Trent's money demands, and in fact, not even entertaining the notion of a contract extension for Trent. Ron said, talk to the hand, because the man don't understand when it comes to your contract demands. Ron came to Washington to clean up a giant mess. Ron came to Washington to establish law and order. Ron giving it a Trent's money demand so early in Ron's tenure as Washington head coach would have been one of the worst things that Ron could have done. And yes, I say that while recognizing that Trent has been outstanding over the last two seasons. But Ron was here to establish a new culture. And Trent was working against that culture. And maybe just maybe this whole Ron Rivera era thing doesn't work out for Washington. Who the heck knows? But you got to get off on a right foot. And to me, Ron standing up to Trent Williams was Ron getting off on the right foot. And by the way, I do very much believe that Trent's holdout convinced Quentin Dunbar to pull the contract demand that he pulled. Do you remember that? From the 2020 offseason, and what happened with old Q, right? Q, old Dunny, right? What happened with old Dunny? uh, He ended up getting traded too. As Ron said about Quentin Dunbar, he was looking for something that we weren't prepared to give. He was looking for something that we weren't prepared to give. Yes, Ron, exactly. Trent was looking for something that Ron, rightfully, wasn't prepared to give. Trent Williams hold out with Washington was about money. I'm sure that Trent wasn't thrilled about his cancer scare, and I do have sympathy for him for having had to undergo that. But the cancer became a convenient excuse for the holdout. And understand this regarding Trent Williams' holdout with Washington being about money. It's not like Trent had been woefully underpaid by Washington. Quite the contrary. Trent Williams was paid more by Washington than any other player in franchise history. Trent Williams, as a number four pick in the 2010 NFL draft, signed a six-year $60 million contract that included $36.75 million in guaranteed money. Oh, by the way, he signed that contract after a brief holdout in training camp that year. Then came the contract extension that Trent got. Washington, in August 2015, signed Trent to a five-year $66 million contract extension that included $30 million guaranteed at signing and $41.25 million in total guarantees. The contract extension made Trent the highest paid offensive tackle in NFL history. So this idea that like Trent had been done wrong financially by Washington, what are you talking about? That was such garbage when that was out there during the Trent Williams saga. There's also this, Trent Williams missed a lot of time during his time with Washington. Trent, over his last four seasons of actually playing for Washington, 2015 through 2018, missed 15 regular season games, nearly the equivalent of a full season. Trent, over his final three seasons of actually playing for Washington, 2016 through 2018, played in just 35 of a possible 48 regular season games due to suspension and injury. Oh yeah, don't forget that Trent, in the midst of a playoff push in the 2016 regular season, served a four-game suspension for violating the NFL's policy and program, For substances of abuse. This was his second such suspension. The first had come for the 2011 regular season. And this suspension, like that first suspension, reportedly had to do with marijuana. And I don't have a problem with people smoking, but a lot of NFL players smoke marijuana and don't get suspended. And I'm talking about when the marijuana rules in the NFL were harsher than they are now. Plenty of other NFL players understood how to avoid getting suspended. Trent apparently didn't. Uh, the NFL's marijuana testing was basically an intelligence test. A lot of guys smoked a lot of weed and never got suspended. Do you know who smoked a ton of weed during his time with Washington? Jordan Reed, okay? And he has admitted to this, so I'm not telling tales out of school. Jordan Reed smoked like a chimney during his time with Washington. Do you know how many times Jordan Reed got suspended during his time with Washington? Zero. Zero because Jordan Reed understood how to play the game. Trent somehow got suspended twice, including in a season in which Washington barely missed the playoffs, the 2016 season. And then the second point to always remember about the Trent Williams saga, Trent wrecked his credibility in his ugly exit from Washington in a variety of ways. I mean, the most obvious way was Trent not wanting that independent third-party review of Washington's medical care for Trent. Again, if Trent was done so wrong by Washington, why didn't he want an independent third-party review of Washington's medical care for him? Uh, The answer is because he wasn't done so wrong. Also, Trent misrepresented things or flat-out lied as this saga went on. Uh, Trent, on October 31st, 2019, in his uh, Halloween coming-out party about his cancer scare, said that during his time in a Chicago-area hospital, no one from Washington came to visit him, uh, though he was visited by a former Washington player in D'Angelo Hall. Well, ESPN Redskins insider John Kime reported that night that a source said that then Washington head athletic trainer Larry Hess had spent a week with Trent in the hospital and that multiple team officials had called Trent during this time and after he was released from the hospital, but also that those calls weren't returned. Uh, Skins insider Ben Standing of the Athletic DC on November 1st 2019 reported that Larry Hess had spent several days with Trent Williams. Also, April 4th, 2020, after the Minnesota Vikings took Boise State offensive tackle Ezra Cleveland in the second round of the 2020 NFL draft, we had a report from NFL insider Ian Rappaport of NFL Network and NFL.com that a potential trade of Trent Williams from Washington to Minnesota had been nixed by Trent himself. Quote, the Vikings have been in constant contact with Washington about a possible trade for Trent Williams. At some point over the course of today, Williams made it known he would rather not go to the Minnesota Vikings. Essentially, that ended the trade right there. And quote, we the next morning, so April 25th, 2020, had an article co-authored by Kime and ESPN Vikings insider Courtney Cronin with Trent denying that he had mixed a potential trade to the Vikings. Quote, no, that's not true, end quote. But also in the same article, was Keim and Cronin denying Trent's denial? Quote, sources confirmed to ESPN that the potential trade partners were informed at some point Friday that Williams did not want to play for the Vikings, as was first reported by NFL Network. End quote. How many times have you ever seen someone go on the record to reporters for an article, but then read in the article that the person was lying? those reporters. Like usually reporters are thrilled to have a key figure in an article go on the record. In this case, Trent got called a liar by the reporters with whom he went on the record. Trent at the very least misrepresented things in his saga with Washington and very possibly lied, flat out lied during this saga with Washington. Trent acted without honor in his ugly exit with Washington. There's also this too, Trent would never bash Dan Snyder. Do you remember that? Trent constantly bashed Bruce Allen, including at one point essentially calling Bruce a racist to the Washington Post. But Trent was always careful to say that he had no problem with Dan. Why? Because Trent wanted Dan's money and also wants to someday be in Washington's ring of fame. Yeah. Uh, Good luck with that. Maybe Washington can honor Trent like Washington honored Sean Taylor this past October. So yeah, Trent Williams, excellent left tackle over the last two seasons with the 49ers. There's no question about that. And yes, he and his Niners are about to compete in the NFC Championship game. But also, yes, uh, spare me the I'm so happy for Trent Williams stuff. If you are happy for Trent, great. More power to you. And just because I feel a certain way doesn't make me right and someone who feels a different way wrong. You know, we're all different with how we feel. But when it comes to, you know, being giddy over Trent making an NFC championship game, uh yeah. I'm good. Well, the Capitals on Monday night got shut out. Uh, the Caps fell to 23-11-9 with a one nothing loss to the Vegas Golden Knights at Capital One Arena. Caps remain at 55 points on the season and now are fourth in the Metropolitan Division. Remember, the Caps were atop the entire NHL for a while this season, and the Caps now are just fourth in their own division. Uh, Monday night's loss was the Caps' fifth regulation loss over the team's last nine games. Hockey's tricky. You can't treat overtime and shootout losses the way that you treat regulation losses. And so if we look at things through the prism of regulation losses, the Caps are in a bit of a rut right now. Again, five regulation losses over the team's last nine games. Although it's not like the Caps got smashed on Monday night. I mean, they lost one nothing. The Golden Knights goaltender Robin Leonard was really good. He stopped all thirty-four of the shots on goal that he faced. Here was Cap's head coach Peter Laviolette during his post-game press conference on Monday night.
2: I don't think um, you know, like the last game wasn't sexy. You know, we won it in overtime in the end, but it was sleepy for a little bit. Um, tonight we didn't get the win. I think lulls are when you you're not playing well. Um, and you're not doing the right things to be successful. And there's been a couple games. Um, you know, I didn't like the St. Louis game. I didn't think we played very well. Um, you know, I don't. I don't like the Boston game. But I think our guys are. They're working. They're competing. Um, and it, it will come uh, defensively. For the last two games, we haven't given up any hardly anything. And. You know, we're, we're finding ourselves in winning the game in overtime or losing one nothing, and that's a little bit, I think it's easy to get frustrating I focus more on the process and how we're playing the game. And um, for me, there's things that we're doing that I think will lead to success. If we were getting outplayed, if we were playing poorly, if we weren't ready, those are, those are things that you worry about and maybe a lull or things that you're, you're concerned about. I think if the guys stay with it um, on the power play, I think if they stay with it five on five, eventually goals will drop.
1: All right, now you heard Laviolette mention the Caps power play. The Caps on Monday night, 0 of 5 on the power play. The Caps this season are just 30th out of 32 NHL teams in power play efficiency at 14.2%. What has happened to the Caps power play? I mean, the Caps power play for years had been outstanding uh not so so far anyway this season now power play goals like goals in general can be fluky and you can be doing well on a power play but not actually score a goal on a power play but you know we're deep enough into this NHL season to where the sample size is large enough to where it's more than justified to be concerned with the caps power play again 30th at a 32 NHL teams. But there were bright spots for the Caps on Monday night. Uh, Vitek Vanacek was the Cap starting goaltender again. A fourth consecutive game in which Vitek was the Cap starting goaltender and he was good on Monday night. Vitek stopped 28 of the 29 shots on goal that he faced. Vitek for natural stat trick stopped six of the seven high danger shots on goal that he faced. Here was Laviolette during his post-game press conference on Monday Night on VTech, who again now has started each of the camp's last four games.
2: Yeah, he's played really well. You know, he's given us a, he's given us a really good chance every game to win and be successful. Um, it was kind of a funny one tonight, the way it slipped through there and, uh, and it just caught him, it bounced off him and it sat there. And, um, so, but he's, he's done a good job.
1: Yeah, Caps on Monday night went 4-4 on the penalty kill. The overall puck possession battle was about even, but the Caps per natural stat trick had 12 5-on-5 high-danger shot attempts to the Golden Knights' 5, so that was good. And while the Caps scored no goals, uh, Alex Ovechkin was very active on Monday night. Ovi was second on the Caps with eight shot attempts and was tied for first on the Caps with six hits as the Caps outhit the Golden Knights 31-22. The Caps on Monday night did get back two of their top defensemen. Defenseman John Carlson returned from a four-game absence that was caused by him being in the NHL's COVID-19 protocol. Defenseman Dimitri Orloff returned from a two-game absence that was caused by a two-game suspension without pay for kneeing a Winnipeg Jets player in the Caps' 4-3 overtime win over the Jets at Capital One Arena last Tuesday night. But the Caps on Monday night did remain without multiple key players. Defenseman Nick Jensen did not play for a second consecutive game due to an upper body injury that he suffered in the Caps 4-3 loss at the Boston Bruins last Thursday night. Ford T.J. Oshie did not play for a fifth consecutive game due to an upper body injury that he suffered in a 2-0 win at the New York Islanders on January 15th. And Ford Anthony Mantha remains out indefinitely due to shoulder surgery that he underwent on November 5th. Next up for the Caps, home to the San Jose Sharks Wednesday night at 7. All right, let's talk college basketball. We had both Virginia and Virginia Tech playing on Monday night. The Cavaliers won, uh, the Hokies lost. Let's start with Virginia. It improved to 12-8 and overall and 6-4 in the ACC with a 64-52 win over Louisville at John Paul Jones Arena in Charlottesville. The Cavs never trailed in the game. They began the game on a 27-8 run, did see their lead get cut to four points at 45-41 with less than 12 minutes left in the second half, but the Cavs ended the game on a 19-11 run. And the big item from this game from a Virginia perspective is is the Cavs defense the Wahoos were great defensively, of having been bad defensively in their previous game, the 77-63 loss at NC State on Saturday, and that game really highlighted how lackluster the Hoos had been on defense this season. But what we saw Monday night was a lot better. You know what we saw Monday night was that vintage Wahoos pack line defense that has been a staple under head coach Tony Bennett. The Hoos held Louisville to just 23 points in the first half. The who's held Louisville to just 9 of 28 on threes. The who's held Louisville to just 12 of 28 on twos. And the who's defended without fouling. How about this? Louisville for the game, just 1 of 3 on free throws. Yeah, 3 free throw attempts the entire game for the U of L, which took the L in this game. Uh, now, UVA did go just 5 of 16 on threes, but UVA also went 19 of 35 on twos. Really good game for Virginia's 5'10 senior point guard, Kihei Clark. He went three of seven on threes, three of five on twos, finished with 15 points, five rebounds, and five assists versus two turnovers in 39 minutes, two seconds as a starter. Reese Beekman had an interesting game. He scored just two points on one of two shooting, all twos, in 37 minutes, 30 seconds as a starter. But Beekman had 11 assists versus two turnovers, seven rebounds, and two steals. So that, to me, is a really nice game for Reese Beekman. Uh, UVA for the game, 20 assists on 24 made field goals. Here was Tony Bennett during his post-game press conference on Monday night.
2: Well, especially early. It always helps when you're making some shots. But I thought we were crisp. Um, you know, found different things. Moved well without the ball. screen pretty well had we call them pocket passes just you know Kihei got got us off to a good start and it just was there was a nice synergy in terms of how they played and and were connected in that way so that was good and then they they um, paired it with really good defense um, with good ball pressure and and just were you know responded the right way from a you know not one of our better defensive performances and so they uh, they responded but yeah that the when you look at Reese's stat line yes wow and and again it just it was good. And then they went, you know, slowed us up a little bit when they went with their, their 1-3-1 or 1-1-3, their matchup zone. But but we weren't got some good looks at that. But it was just it was um, a better effort all around tonight.
1: Yeah, and another standout for the Cavs was the East Carolina transfer, Jaden Gardner. Uh, he went seven of thirteen from the field all twos, finished with 14 points and five rebounds, including four offensive boards in 34-41 as a starter. Next up for Virginia at Notre Dame. Saturday evening at six. So the Who's now six and four in the ACC, and the Hokies now just two and six in the ACC. Virginia Tech fell to 10 and nine overall and two and six in the ACC with a 78 68 loss at North Carolina on Monday night. Hokies led by a point at 40 39 with less than 17 minutes left in the second half, but then allowed Carolina to end the game on a 39 28 run. Two things doomed the Hokies in this game offensive rebounding, and a, shall we say, a sizable gap in free throws. Uh, Tech had just five offensive rebounds to Carolina's 16, and a big reason for that was the Carolina big man, the 6'10", Armando Baycott. Uh, he had 19 rebounds, including eight offensive boards, although Virginia Tech didn't do a terrible job defensively on Baycott. Baycott went to 7-19 from the field all twos. He fouled out in 34 minutes as a starter. But yeah, the 19 rebounds were a thing. Uh, Also, major disparity in free throws. Uh, Tech went 7 of 11 on free throws. Carolina went 22 of 26 on free throws. Uh, Not the first time in the history of North Carolina basketball that the Tar Heels in a home game enjoyed a major advantage in free throws. But still, Carolina's the better team. Virginia Tech just isn't that good of a team, uh, the Hokies uh, allowed Carolina to go ten to twenty-five on threes. Although the Hokies held Carolina to just thirteen to thirty-eight on twos. Like I said, Armando Bacot only went seven to nineteen from the field, all twos. Uh, two standouts for Tech: Kevin Aluma and Justin Muts. Uh, Kevin Aluma one to two on threes, six to thirteen on twos. He finished with nineteen point six rebounds and three assists versus two turnovers in 37 minutes as a starter. Justin Mutz 1 of 3 on 3, 7 of 12 on twos. He did go just 1 of 4 on free throws, but he finished with 18 points, 10 rebounds and two assists versus two turnovers in 32 minutes as a starter. Next up for Virginia Tech a game on Wednesday night. Quick turnaround for the Hokies. Uh they'll host Miami Wednesday night at 7. All right, that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Algaldi. You can email me, the AlgaldiPodcast at Yahoo.com. Wednesday's show, episode 237, will be a very special show. Will be a very special installment of the Algaldi Podcast because Wednesday's show will be a show that commemorates the 30th anniversary of the last. Super Bowl championship for the team currently known as the Washington football team. Wednesday is January 26th, 2022. It was on January 26th, 1992, that the Washington Redskins defeated the Buffalo Bills 37 24 at the Metrodome in Minneapolis in Super Bowl 26. And what Wednesday's show is going to truly focus on is the 1991 Redskins, who were not just a great team. They were, to me anyway, the greatest team in franchise history and arguably the greatest team in NFL history. Yeah, I said it. The 1991 Redskins were perhaps the greatest team in NFL history. Uh, I will have a statistical deep dive for you that will blow your mind. Uh, I also will have a special guest on the show, the general manager of the 1991 Redskins, Charlie Casserly. Uh, He'll talk about what made the team so special, what was going on behind the scenes with the Skins at the time, and much more. So don't miss it. Spread the word. Wednesday show, episode 237, a special 30th anniversary celebration of the 1991 Redskins. Also on Wednesday, show, all post-game games on Tuesday night for the Wizards, Maryland, and Georgetown. Oh, the Wizards will host the Los Angeles Clippers Tuesday night at 7. The Terrapins will be at Rutgers Tuesday night at 8. And the Hoyas will be at number 20 UConn Tuesday night at 8.30. Have a great rest of your Tuesday, and I'll talk to you on Wednesday. He was looking for something that we weren't prepared to give. Mother's Day is almost here.